time is the thing. Uh-huh. Time is, is the essential piece of uh, interpretation. You cannot start without me. See, I start the clock. You know, my left hand it shapes, but my right hand, the second hand, marks time and moves it forward. However, unlike a clock, sometimes my second hand stops, which means that time stops. Now, the illusion is that, like you, I'm responding to the orchestra in real right. time, making right. the decision about the right moment to restart the thing or reset it or throw time out the window altogether. The reality is that right from the very beginning, I know precisely what time really? it is and the exact moment that you and I will arrive at our destination together. Welcome to Trilogy in Theory. My name is Webb, and this is my co-host, Mike. And we are talking Tar, or also known as The Color of Time, a 2012 film directed by the students of James Franco, this uh, independent uh, biographical drama. No, I'm just playing. (laughs) For whatever reason, I found out (laughs) when I was typing in Tar (laughs) to look for the film. Apparently, there's a film called The Color of Time, a.k.a. Tar, and it was directed by <laughs> the people that uh, uh, James Franco scarred. I was like, man, Todd Field really had some associates. I did not. I was not aware. <laughs> I didn't know that he was part of the, uh, was it This is the End group? I didn't know he had a cameo in, in that particular <laughs> film, but I'll go back and watch it. No, more hanging out with the likes of Kubrick and, and company, Mr. Field. Certainly. I was... Uh... <laughs> you have to include that sound. Whatever sound you just made expresses not a lot of enthusiasm for, for getting out to watch this Kate uh, Blanchett joint. Here's the thing with Tar. I have very little negative. Yeah, I don't have much negative things to say about the film. I think it's very well made. Uh, obviously, the main performance is excellent. You know, that's to be expected. Kate Blanchett is a, a absolute pro. And and her craft is is pretty much unrivaled. Anytime where she is the 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 vehicle, Blue Jasmine. You know she won the Oscar for that one. That film is is all a showcase for her, and so is Tar. It's wonderful. The trouble I'm having with Tar is that I don't know what it is. Is it a satire of of the kind of fall from grace you see in celebrity and in people of great uh, expertise these days? Or is it just a mere reflection of what's going on? Um, I, I, it's well done. I just I'm, I'm I'm at a loss for like what this thing is because yeah because I I I wasn't compelled by the, by you know throughout the whole entire film like attaching on to like oh like this Webster's, is a- where are the gags <laughs> where are the jokes <laughs> Mister Field <laughs> although it does end on one it ends on a pretty heavy handed joke. It does, one which I was very insulted by, because video game music is music. 
All right. I'm not a fan of that. <laughs> this this is what happens to people who are canceled. They'll work on video games. <laughs> I I didn't know what this film was, and then about halfway through the film it kind of reveals itself and I'm like, oh, oh. And that's kind of like, okay. And then, you know, you watch the rest of it. I, I, from what I understand uh, in my, my quick research into Letterboxd, you had a very positive reaction to it. I want yes. you to talk a little bit about Tar. And, and, and see if you can answer that question that I, I pose. Is it a satire? Is it a reflection of what's happening now? I, I mean, I think it's both. I, I think I had a uh, – I don't know if it's quite the opposite, but – uh, I was looking forward to this because I love in the bedroom and little children. And so uh, Mr. Field has not made a film, uh, a feature film in what, a decade and a half. I think little children was like 2006. Uh, so it's been a minute and I was not as into tar. I was actually very, I was fidgeting my seat. I was kind of rolling my eyes because it opens was pretty, <sighs> standard uh sort of auteur showy uh mm. takes there's one scene a lecture in a classroom which i felt was way too on the nose as far as like look at these young students they're angry about everything and they just get easily insulted and they make everything about race and identity and uh gender and and i felt like i don't know this it was it was reading a little bit like this is an old person's view of what's going on now and I wasn't really as comfortable with that. And also, the character of Tar, this composer, uh, we open with a long sequence where she just pontificates on herself and the form. And oh my god, I was just like, this is the world's worst like NPR segment. Like, just get me out of this. I have no interest in not only I guess classical music or composition, but I don't have any interest in this pompous jackass. Like, the film does not you know for something that's going to be about a fall from grace it doesn't make her likable to begin with it's not like you suddenly learn things like oh this is a betrayal like i respected this person i think that and that's one thing i appreciate about appreciate about the film itself is they don't make a lot of effort to disguise uh the abuse of power with kate blanchett it's kind of i guess maybe a personal reflection on if you feel like those are abuses, I guess, in the creative field. Um, at what point can someone really just be an asshole if they want to be? As long as it's legal. <laughs> like, do we expect artists to be good people, nice people? I re- That's the stuff that I really dug about it because I never once liked our lead character, but I found her incredibly engaging. And yes. the way her mind worked, um, the way that she seemed to put... you know, the, I think the biggest sin you can... Uh, say about her maybe as an artist is that she does put personal gratification uh, ahead of the art as much as she uh, likes to lecture her students about you know the the plays the thing like what they create separate the art from the artist uh, oftentimes she is looking on how she can <laughs> you know i mean she might as well have been a member of poison or motley crew how could she get laid while she's <laughs> making her her music all of that was that stuff was interesting i don't think we probably expect uh, it to be as bitterly funny in this this type of thing. I think it it surprised me in that it it's not strictly Oscar bait material, even though it's it's certainly uh, a performance piece for Kate Blanchett. It's certainly she as you know that that's something that you expect to probably win awards for. But I think it's got a little bit of a smart assery to it that um, you know I don't think it's 
something that uh, you can compare to like Stanley Kubrick, but I definitely think the tone at times was his. Like, you know, Barry Lyndon is a very funny movie. It's about a jackass, but it's in this <laughs> yeah. very uh, regal setting. And I, I got a little bit of that vibe from Tar, I have to admit. When the film opened with that lengthy sequence of uh, the interview, I I was excited at first because like, oh, I, I love films, as we've mentioned on this podcast, that talk about a subject that I don't have any interest in or knowledge of. But the film, because of the way it's made and because of the compelling characters in the story, you start to care about that specific chosen content. The trouble is... It felt like it was so insider baseball. I was like, I don't know what they're talking about. And I can't relate to any of this. And it absolutely felt like not a film, but more of just like you said, like an NPR interview. It really did feel that way. And I guess it was there to set up to show you like one facet, one side of the character. It starts off with the accomplishments, the resume. Like, okay, so we're setting up this character. Great. And then it goes to show you, like, oh, he, okay, this person is legitimately that. It just felt very long. And then you're right. It follows it up with another lengthy – apparently it was a one single shot in the uh, classroom. I, I didn't even notice it. Are you over those things? Because I would have gone nuts about any of these long tracking shots as a teenager. And I don't know. I don't know if it's like I've seen it all before. But now as soon as you draw attention to yourself in, in that sort of way, I'm like, you better impress me. This better have a point other than just – the fact that we're going to do a long tracking shot here. I think I'm, I don't want to say I'm over it. Like if you want to do it, great. Like don't expect me to just <laughs> applaud it, I suppose. But if you want to do it, great. I think I'm more impressed when it's done in, in an action scene because that's difficult. Everybody needs to be on cue for, for something like that. And they need mm. to be, uh, you know, so when the Russo brothers do it, it's art. But it's when excellent. <laughs> I, I'm 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 poking fun, but like I actually feel like in that sequence, this feels more like a film than it does real life. Like there is that distance. That the like I think initially having those long sequences, it, it's going to give you the idea that it's almost like a journalist following the character around that you are there. But in this instance, I felt further removed from the classroom and the conversation because I'm just watching the camera go up to the stage, down and back to the, like the row. I. I, I didn't. I did not dig it. I, I'm saying that in that you've seen my letterbox review. This was, you know, it's right up there. It's one of my favorite movies. It's it's one or two. Um, the more populous in me is still going to go with Barbarian because it's a lot more fun. A movie about <laughs> incest is far more fun than Tar. They should put <laughs> Wait, that on the poster. <laughs> when you say one or two, you do mean of 2022. Yes. Yes. yes okay. Yes. Okay. Just making That's sure. Not, just we're make... not talking all the time. What what is your rule on that? We're getting off the subject of guitar, but what do you uh, do? You put movies, modern films, in like a five to ten year like holding facility before you allow yeah. them to compete. I kind of feel that way yep. too. I don't feel like I have any the appropriate context or distance with newer stuff. There's one film that has uh, uh, risen above uh, all other, and it happened right after my first viewing. Um, that I was like, uh oh, this I like I and to avoid recency bias, I. I purposely would not actively put it up on the list but now i do and that's fury road i didn't think that terminator 2 was ever going to be like dethroned as like the, my favorite action movie of all time but i think fury road has done it and that happened almost immediately but i was like I, I can't not right now i owe 
Jim Cameron and, and Arnold and, and the rest of that crew. <laughs> uh, and again, it was one of those formative movies like that helped shape my uh, uh, film watching life because I saw it very early. Didn't bother with the original Terminator because that's how good T2 really was. I'm starting to let the the class of 2007, I think, into the uh, the Hall of Fame, the Hall of Fame for cinema because – uh man, uh, Zodiac and Michael Clayton. Oh yeah, I really revisit a lot. And uh, yeah, 2007 was certainly a good year. No country. I saw that one last year again, and damn near perfect. It, See, it that would be is. that's the bronze medal winner for me for that <gasps> year. And I'm like, that that's a crazy good year. I sorry. And we haven't even mentioned there will be blood. Yeah, it doesn't even get on the podium. PTA, what a joke. Man, <laughs> can't compete. <laughs> One thing that you did mention about this character, uh, Lydia, is that she is really good at what she does. And despite the fact that we do not like her for the first, well, for pretty much the whole film, I am very, very attracted to this character almost immediately because talent is attractive. And it is exciting and very compelling to watch somebody be so good at what they do. And that kind of goes back to uh, all the people that have been canceled, the celebrities, your, your Polanskis, your Louis C.K., that, you know, despite the fact that they there were rumors of the things that they've done, but we still continue to watch them. And then eventually, you know, the, the dam broke, and that was it. Uh, Woody Allen's another one. You've got people. There are actual people who still watch Woody Allen films, talk about them on their podcasts, laud them, talk about how they're going to – yeah, sickos, sickos. Mike, and so even worse, the the numbers are good. For those episodes, <laughs> <laughs> there are a lot of like minded souls out there. <laughs> Precisely, Woody Allen film fans. That's all I'm saying. I'm not getting into like any any sexual deviancy. I'm just saying they like Manhattan <laughs> and her sisters. <laughs> well, speaking of sexual deviancy, You've got this main character who does eventually, and when uh, when that's revealed, I was like, oh, man, so that's the movie that I'm watching. And when it happens, I'm still not completely off off the Lydia bandwagon yet. Like, she's still very good at what she does. She's been working so hard for this uh, Symphony Number no. 5, and, and I want it to happen for her because she's so damn good at what she, you know, uh, at what she does. But eventually, you just, you can't. Where do you fall on the fact that she is putting um, personal interests, her own you know, romantic passions, if you want to call them that, above what they're trying to accomplish creatively? Because that seems to be some charges that are made uh, slightly verbally, but there's a, more often than not in the film there's looks from other musicians in her field or in her company that look at each other like, really? That's the direction we're going? That's... That's actually the top talent that you're rewarding here. I thought that was the the biggest uh, crime uh, if you're a creative that you could hold against her. Even if there's not an actual crime being committed here, it's a crime against art in a way. Yeah, exactly. And and I hate to say it, but I, I guess the human in me is is disgusted that she's doing that to these other women. But the craftsman in me i'm like what are you doing like this can be this is going to be your magnum opus this is what you're going to be remembered for and unfortunately it is what she's remembered for but just something a little different and i feel bad that i have both of those thoughts but that's kind of what art does it coaxes those kinds of feelings uh from the the consumer and that's that's us i want to touch on the cancel 
culture aspect just for a moment. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm sure you didn't because nobody saw uh, She Said, which was the film about the New York Times journalists uh, covering Harvey Weinstein, breaking that that story alongside uh, Rona Farrow, I believe, for The New Yorker, I think was where his piece was published. But it's focusing on the, the Times investigators in particular. And no one, no one cared about that as a film. Cared very much about it as an actual incident like that. It not only changed the industry, but really uh, changed the world because it, it became such a focal point and its faces that you knew. Um, <laughs> that one just, I think, just premiered on Peacock, and I, I don't think it's going to change as far as like a lively conversation around she said and the thing that stuck with me i I watched the film and i thought it was okay but it 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 was uh, other than samantha morton uh as one of the uh people who gave a statement uh to the journalists about what happened what transpired with her when she was a young woman um i didn't feel like it was very strong cinematic material um very strong like i read all those pieces when they came out and the thing is I think it's far more interesting to look at cancel culture from the point of view of the person being canceled. And that and when you watch it in tar, it's that old quote, it's like slowly and then all at once. Yeah. It's, it's damn. That opens up like, and that, that sort of uh, suffocation that happens where you're looking at someone who cannot be touched and then is totally consumed by these, these prior incidents that I felt like was far more interesting, whereas something like she said, obviously it's an outsider trying to discover these things. And for various reasons, they do not have Weinstein as, you know, he is, he's just someone that they're, they're tracking. He's not really a character in the film. I'm not saying that in any sort of true to life scenario that we need to see it. Like we need to see it from Harvey's perspective to get, right. to get to real. I'm not saying that, but where this is a work of fiction, I think they're allowed to do far more uh, dangerous. And I guess they, they, they get to work in the gray more than the, the black and white uh, with, with this character. And it leads to one of the great, you know, all time musical compositions. I don't know if it was not, it's going to be nominated for an Oscar, but her, uh, song where she's taunting the other person in the apartment. <laughs> kill, killed me. <laughs> when, when tar starts to go into all work and no play mode is, uh, is great. It's very, it's very much reminiscent of the shining here. That, that scene, I actually, while a surface level, I enjoyed it. I hated it in the film because it's, just so out of left field and it's it's almost like the the cliche version of this movie where it would go like oh she's losing her mind great you know let's we got to have that scene and it does i thought the the joke the setup was brilliant i don't know why this had and and this leads me to another i took that a different way i um i mean i was greatly entertained by it and i did laugh in the theater but i i thought it was more like oh we're getting into territory where very successful people, maybe when they're young, they do deserve that success. They aspire to it and they prove themselves. But once someone is proven and you start to remove all of their support system, which is just there, all the assistants, all the people who move the calendar around for their events and Q&As where they can repeat the fact that, well, yes, I will answer your questions about how great I am. Once you start to remove that support staff, they don't really look like geniuses anymore. That's what mm. that's what I took from that sequence is they look like someone who is very small minded, who lashes out 
uh, vindictive and childlike. And I, I felt like that was, while very funny, I like that scene because it's like we're stripping away all of the perceived greatness of this this character. Because she herself is removing all of the creative outlet from her life. She is, she has kind of put that as one, one on this shelf. And because I am this creative person, I deserve all the things on the other shelves I can take from everyone else. I like that scene. I thought it was very dark. That's why I said it's very bitter. It's very funny, but it's a very bitterly funny film for me. I could see that. Um, ultimately like, it's a very long film. And so scenes like that, I'm like, man, take that out. <laughs> You know, it seems in the beginning, the, the NPR interview. I love trim, that. Trim that. You don't need to have this long scene. I agree, I agree with you, but I, I love the, the quickest fix. And, you know, movie podcasters love film editors because we're like, here's the ticket. <laughs> chop, chop, chop. <laughs> have me spend less time with this. And I'm just as guilty as you. I've done I don't know how many times where I'm like, and half hour, remove it. <laughs> Get rid of it. But here's why, though. I feel like I have a reason. And not just because, like, oh, it's a long film. It is a long film. And it feels its length. But the trouble is, it takes its time. It's a slow burn. And then all of a sudden, the last 20, 30 minutes or so, it's like a montage. I want to spend more time in those final 30 minutes. I, I want more time with, uh, I guess, her brother or some family member that's given her the, you know, the business at the end of the, the stairs there. Um, I want to spend a little more time with her in Asia. I, I want to see a little more of that, but it just felt like we... Like, you spent all this time slowly burning your way to this moment, this mm. joke at the end, but then it's, I feel like it was rushed. I, I, I see, I, I felt that. I, I felt that in the pacing of it, the sort of the cancel culture nature of what was happening to her, where her life is no longer worthy of going over with the coma. It's no oh, longer worthy of okay. praise or critique. It's over. You were just another person lost in the shuffle. And once this. Uh, controversy is over. You just move aside, move to Japan or whatever, put on your little Kingdom Hearts <laughs> concerts or whatever it is the <laughs> fuck you're doing <laughs> and let us just forget about you. And that's, I, I agree with you. Maybe there's, there's almost, you know, there's another movie there maybe of like, once someone's canceled, like what are they supposed to, to do with their, their lives? Like they're, what, what is our expectation? If we're not sensing them to the death penalty, we just want them to shut up and be quiet. Don't, don't dare try to grab our attention more, which is, it's a hard ask for an entertainer. Cause uh, I, you know, I doubt that Louis CK has any sort of trade skills that he could, he could go apply doubt. He was going to go drive a truck or anything, but I don't know, maybe. Um, and that's, yeah, you, you could have gone that direction, but I felt like given the sort of oppressive nature mm -hmm. and all the subject matter, but the length, uh, I guess maybe I appreciated the sort of brevity of like once she was out of favor. Uh, it's almost like the film was done with her too. Like we don't have much more runtime to give you. Certainly. No, I, I like that uh, interpretation. I absolutely like that. Ultimately, this is a film that I, I don't know if I'll ever revisit because uh, while I appreciate the craft of everyone involved, Boy, it's just, it's just, it's, it's a long film about something, about a topic that we've been uh, in the middle of for years now, and I don't really see it going away. And that's why, like, when you brought up He Said, She Said, 
that is a film that was on my list, but I was like, boy, I really don't want to get into that subject matter right now in a movie. And so I'm like, let me go watch Tar instead. Uh, let me just correct you. It's just she said. There's no he said. Oh, okay, great. <laughs> <There's> no... <laughs> we don't allow he said now. That would be poor form, Web. <laughs> Are you telling me that film is one-sided? <laughs> but that's why I ultimately didn't want to watch she said because – I just didn't want to watch a movie with that subject matter. And then I went to Tar and the universe, uh, uh, you know, (laughs) kicked me right in the groin. Like, no, you're going to watch a movie about this. So when when we're talking about a specific moment in time or culture, kind of like we were talking about how we move films into the Hall of Fame. When do you think there's enough distance for not only like the filmmakers to have sort of the full picture to add something to it, but maybe even the audience as far as having enough distance from the news cycle to where they can appreciate perhaps a fictional look at that subject matter? Wow. I I don't know if there is a set time. There's that old South Park joke where like 22 years is how long it takes or whatever. And that's when they can joke about AIDS again. Um, I, I don't know what it is in real life, though. I mean, Zero Dark Thirty came out very close at the time. You saw 9-11 movies happening uh, immediately, you know, uh, just a few years after the events. Was that the first one that, that did well, though? Zero Dark Thirty? Because there was a – yeah, because, I mean, that's, you know, that's just over 10 years after – uh, nine eleven, but there was a rush of you know war films in the two yeah. thousands, like your, your Jarheads and in the Valley of Ella, and none of them, in my recollection, did much in the way of box office. It seemed like people were like, "Nope, not now, please." We're going to avoid this subject. Maybe, maybe it's like ten years. Maybe we give people a decade or so. Um, but yeah, I I don't know. I think it, it just all depends on the event. Um, the, the cynic in me is always like, oh, you know, we have presidency sales and all that. Like, when do we get nine eleven sales? And I don't think that's happening anytime soon, shockingly. But the cynic in me always was like, oh boy, like when's that going to happen? Um, so far so good, I guess. Uh, in terms of film, when we can talk about like a fictional, <laughs> that was a very dark. That was a dark fifteen seconds that you just <laughs> you went into your look at capitalism, <laughs> and the creation of a new holiday. <laughs> That's what Tar's doing to me. It, yeah, I, I hate to say it, but like I don't, I don't have a good answer for you. I think it really does depend on the project. I think it depends on what who's uh, what the actual event or or uh, social movement is. The hate you give came out, uh, I think, in the midst of the Black Lives Matter movement at the mm. height. And I think Hey You Give is a pretty good movie, but boy, it is, it's so close to what's happening on the news that I can't imagine a lot of people really uh, appreciated it. I remember it had a really good lead performance. That's the main thing I remember from it. Was it was that Storm Reed? Is that her name? Was she the... Is she the one in Bodies, Bodies, Bodies? Like, did she ruin oh, everything? I, by... I thought she was... Uh... She was good. She was very good in that. <laughs> why, do, why do we have to be so so negative? Um, I think she's in the um, Searching sequel or spinoff that's coming out. Missing. Have you seen that? The little laptop thriller that you know that uh, that may have missed its its mark. Uh, no, this is an entirely different actress. So thankfully oh. not. She Amanda or Amanda Stenberg. Um, okay. Everything, everything. Dear Evan Hansen. Oh, no. 
<laughs> well, this is the episode where it's like every bit of moment of light, like, oh, good. That's not the person that did bodies, bodies, bodies. Oh, shit. They did something else I hated. <laughs> no happy endings here. Well, bodies, 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 specifically, I think I, I, Dear Evan Hansen, who gives a crap, that was like panned, but bodies, bodies, bodies got like good reviews, like really good reviews. And I was like, this is not garbage, but this is so not for me. And and maybe that's kind of the point. It is the girl from Hate You Give. And bodies, bodies, bodies? Yeah. Oh, Storm Reed was an invisible man. Oh, good for her. <laughs> Wrinkle in time. She was good in that. <laughs> we're all we're, <laughs> we're we're trying to justify these young people's careers like oh it's all right <laughs> things are going well for them. they're in movies what do we care 